This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Here is the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. And Dusty, your fans welcome you back, man. First of all, I would like to thank the many, many fans throughout this country that wrote cards and letters to Dusty Rhodes, the American dream, while I was down. Secondly, I want to thank Jim Crockett Promotions for waiting and taking the time because I know how important it was. Starcade 85, it is to the wrestling fans, it is to Jim Crockett Promotions. And Dusty Rhodes, the American dream, with that weight, got what I wanted. Ric Flair, the world's heavyweight champion. I don't have to say a lot more about the way I feel about Ric Flair. No respect, no honor. There is no honor among thieves in the first place. He put hard times on Dusty Rhodes and his family. You don't know what hard times are, Daddy. Hard times are when the textile workers around this country are out of work. They got four or five kids and can't pay their wages, can't buy their food. Hard times are when the auto workers are out of work and they tell them go home. And hard times are when a man has worked at a job 30 years. 30 years, they give him a watch, kick him in the butt, and say, hey, a computer took your place, daddy. That's hard time. That's hard time. And Ric Flair, you put hard times on this country by taking Dusty Rhodes out. That's hard time. And we all had hard times together. I admit, I don't look like the athlete of the day supposed to look. My belly's just a little big. My hand is just a little big. But brother, I am bad and they know I'm bad. And there were two bad people. One was John Wayne and he's dead, brother. And the other one's right here. Nature Boy Ric Flair. The world's heavyweight title belongs to these people. I'm gonna reach out right now. I want you at home to know my hand is touching your hand for this gathering of the biggest body of people in this country, in this universe, all over the world now. Reach it out because the love that was given me and this time I will repay you now because I will be the next world's heavyweight champion on this hard time blues. Dusty Rhodes Tour 85 and Ric Flair, Nature Boy. Let me leave you with this. One way to hurt Ric Flair is to take what he cherishes more than anything in the world. That's the world's heavyweight title. I'm gonna take it, I've been there twice. This time when I take it, Daddy, I'm gonna take it for you. Let's gather for it. Don't let me down now, cause I came back for you, for that man up there that died 10, 12 years ago and never got the opportunity to see a real wolf champion. And I'm proud of you and thank God I have you. And I love you. Love you! It's my music. You're listening to Music of the Mat on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively 
to the music of pro wrestling. It's all part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. I'm your host, Andrew Rich. This is episode 79, and it's about the themes of the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, and Jim Crockett Promotions. And today I'm joined once again by the host of the Shake Them Ropes podcast, it's Jeff Hawkins. Hello, Jeff. Hi. How you doing? Oh, I'm I'm looking forward to this. Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> Dusty Rhodes is a fascinating character. In fact, before we came on here, I found a, another promo from Florida he was doing where he had uh he had Bob Seger's her strut on as background music for this promo and stuff, which some people may know as the uh, first theme of Doom from WCW, which is always kind of cool. But you know, uh, Dusty Rhodes was a Renaissance man who. Loved his music, fancied himself a rock and roll star, a little bit of himself. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, I love having you on for these territory episodes that we've done so far because you experience them in real time. Um, not to call you old, but no, uh, you it's, it's you, you do this every time. You go, not to I'm call just you old, saying to put but... it nicely. All right. Come on. Now. <laughs> I'm old. I'm I'm older than most of your pundits out there. I'm. I'm I'm right in between that sweet spot of Semper Vivi and Bruce Mitchell. I'm not quite. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, in any event, uh, I'm glad you're back on the show here, Jeff, for sure. Um, now, as far as Shake Them Ropes goes, um, of course, there's big news in your world because there's not only another uh, big Saudi blood money show coming up. Those are always fun. <laughs> but um, also the fact that Chris Nomembrino, um, your co-host and frequent guest on this show, um, he'll be leaving Shake Them Ropes soon, which I think is a shame because I think he's great at what he does, and you two have such good chemistry together. I, I agree. I I had it, they were two different shows with between Rob and Chris, and I haven't been able to keep host, and I'm not even sure I'm going to continue it myself. It's one of those day to day things where I wake up and I go, "Do I want to rebuild this show again?" You know, I'd love to hook up with someone who's like an established podcast host out there or something like that, maybe. But on the other hand, you also think, man, I, maybe I don't need to watch eight hours of WWE television a week. And wouldn't that be fun to actually get a hobby again? But at my age, you know, we're almost near death. So who knows? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh... <laughs> no, but but they were they're two very different shows between and Rob may even come back for some shows now after. After Chris is gone. So it's weird. I'm talking to a lot of people. I have a lot of opinions on it. And I, I really just don't know, to be honest with you. Well, it's a grind. You know, it, it gets to all of us at some point. Um, I mean, I, I've had times where I'm looking ahead at the week and it's like, okay, I got work on the podcast. I got all this wrestling I need to watch. Um, TV shows, podcasts, my real life job. It's like it adds up. It all adds up, and it weighs on you. And, you know, as much as I'm going to miss Chris on your show or or potentially miss the show itself, um, I, I do understand stepping away and taking a nice big breather, totally, because, you know, it, it, you need it. And I'm sure whatever comes Chris's way in the future or, or your way, Jeff, you'll be aces, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I, I'll be okay either way. I mean, it, it's not, you know... It's, it's... <laughs> I'm not I'm not losing millions of dollars if I step away from the show. I'm not Seinfeld here. Well, uh, anyway, uh, today's episode here, uh, we are indeed going back to the 80s once again, back to the territory days with real songs, but we're not going to do like a grab bag episode like the last few times you've been on, Jeff. Uh, instead, 
we will focus on the themes of a specific wrestler and a specific company, which of course is the American Dream Dusty Rhodes during his time in Jim Crockett Promotions, which was the precursor to WCW. Um, now, obviously, you know, Dusty is someone who has been talked about for, you know, God knows how many hours on God knows how many podcasts. And, you know, for good reason, because his legacy is just massive. I mean, in terms of his his legendary promos, his charisma, and, and his star power, and his time as a booker, his mentoring of young wrestlers in NXT. I mean, his literal legacy, Cody Rhodes, is running the number two promotion in America right now. You know, Dusty is such an important figure in the history of pro wrestling that it's hard to really do him justice, I think. And, and speaking for myself, I'm someone who only knew Dusty as the old retired legend. You know, the first time I ever saw him, actually, was in TNA in, like, 2004 as, like, this authority figure. And, I, you know, I, there is that pang of jealousy within me that I never got to experience Dusty as an active wrestler at the height of his powers. But but you did, Jeff. Um, yeah, if you consider Crockett his, his, his real height. Um, here's one thing for me as a kid and in my early teens as I was growing up with Dusty Rhodes, I never... When you look at it in hindsight and him as a booker and you hear the criticisms of him as a booker and how he always inserted himself into every story and stuff like that, at my age, I couldn't comprehend all that. So there's that certain... You can look on everything as with that kind of jaundiced eye of, you know, if he had done these things differently, then Crockett would have been better off and stuff like that. But, man, for the work itself, every time he came out, man, it was a party. It was, he was always going to be intense. Sometimes he was going to be funny. Sometimes he was going to be angry. But but he always, I mean, the moment that camera's on, and you see either David Crockett or Tony Schiavone or Jim Ross going, here with us now, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, you knew you were going to see something at least interesting. It may not have always been good, because God knows sometimes Dusty Rhodes just came out there and wanted to talk about whatever was on Virgil Runnels' actual mind. <laughs> but, you know... <laughs> Like, take, for example, when he and Magnum came out of those giant fur coats that they bought in Vegas on, on a dare, basically, because they wanted to look like they had money. I mean, it, Dusty Rhodes is one of the greatest performers of all time, but one of the greatest con men of all times, one of the greatest storytellers of all time. He's just, those are the type of people you gravitate towards. It's always the guy with the interesting stories and whether or not they were true or not. Uh, you know, it leaves a lot to be desired, but Dusty would always try and be the life of the party, even outside the ring. So, you know, who's to say some of this stuff isn't true that you hear about him? Yeah. And, you know, he was like that up until the day he died, pretty yeah. much. You know, I remember one of his final appearances during the last few years of his life was the match at Battleground, Cody and Goldust versus The Shield. And Dusty was ringside for his sons. And Dusty hit the bionic elbow on Dean Ambrose. And the crowd went ballistic. Because it's Dusty Rhodes hitting that goddamn bionic elbow on somebody. Because, you know, as old as he got and as sick as he got towards the end, he could still whip out that elbow and make the magic happen. Which is the sign of a true legend. If you if you look back on it now, like, I've heard 20-somethings and, you know, you read comments on message boards from people who 
are far younger and millennials and are like, how did this fat guy get over so big? And, you know, he, he couldn't quote unquote work. And, you know, critics said the same thing in terms of, you know, athletic endeavors. But at the end of the day, wrestling is storytelling. It's live theater more than it is professional sports. And so if you can tell a story, and God knows Dusty Rhodes can tell a story. Yeah, you tell him you got two minutes, get yourself over. Dusty Rhodes is going to get himself over every time, and he's probably going to smoke you in the process. So, I mean, that, that was the thing is, okay, sure, Dusty Rhodes insert himself in every angle, but that's because people wanted to hear what Dusty Rhodes had to say. And as far as the music goes, um, again, I am most aware of Dusty having his WWE theme, the Common Man Boogie, you know, with the cowbell and the funk and the sassy black singers, which I, I, I do enjoy myself, to be honest, but it's certainly not indicative of the rest of his theme music throughout his career, um, especially not in JCP, because the reason I wanted to focus on his JCP themes in particular is that there is such an eclectic mix of songs and genres of music here that he used in that company that I think would make for a fun episode. And if I can, you know, put on my symbolism hat for a moment here, the varied mix of, of styles here with rock and pop and, and funk and country and even jazz and so forth, I think it speaks to him as the common man, as the guy who could appeal to the masses. And whatever background you came from, Dusty would be your champion, Jeff. Oh, yeah. The, the, the odd thing about Dusty Rhodes for me um, is he and my dad are very similar in age and have very similar tastes in pop culture. Dusty Rhodes loved movies and he loved John Wayne movies. He loved cowboy movies, loved that whole thing, and loved outlaw country, and, and that was Dusty Rhodes to a T. If, if, if you had to explain Dusty Rhodes in, in, you know, in like a log line, Dusty Rhodes was Texas kid who talked like a... <laughs> For lack of a better term, a southern black woman. A lot of the times, that was his rap. He was he was an amalgam of all these blue collar stereotypes to the point where, even though he wasn't like that in real life, you believed it on television. And that's part of that was part of the whole thing of seventies and eighties wrestling. Is sure you're watching guys playing gimmicks, but you want to believe that they're like this in real life. Right, right. Well, the tricky thing in my mind is that, you know, some of these songs don't really work for Dusty Rhodes all that well, um, or necessarily work as wrestling themes in general. You know, they're, they're kind of odd fits, I think. They don't, but they're, you know, they're, they, they, how, 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 do, how can I describe this? They, they achieve something that Dusty wanted to achieve, whether it was his flair for the dramatic or even self-deprecation in some ways. So, um, you know, it, it, he's, he's not above trying big and failing, which you also have to admire about Dusty Rhodes. Well, I was thinking, you know, as we go along here, we'll see that despite them being odd fits, the way that Dusty was picking some of these songs, he was also trying to capitalize on their popularity in pop culture at the time mm -hmm. and use that to boost himself up in the process for his entrances, which is a smart thing to do, honestly. And as evidenced by this show many time, uh, is something that a lot of wrestlers did back in the day before, you know, in-house composers became the norm. You know, transplanting some of that popularity from a song onto yourself, Jeff. And also, don't, don't he also had one eye on Vince 
up in WWF, and Vince McMahon was using songs for entrances for a couple of his bigger acts, and to try and, you know, this was, you know, the mid-80s were the advent of the music video. So if you could, if you could get a song on there and create that kind of presentation and turn it into a video and then use it for commercials and things like that, it, it all it made the marketing that much easier. Right, right. So let's get to these themes here. Um, again, these were all used by Dusty Rhodes in Jim Crockett Promotions, which would be around from, what, 84 to 88, I believe? Yeah. That's the, that's the range? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So about a four-year span there. But uh, he did have a lot of themes during that time period, starting with this one that he used at Starcade 84, The Million Dollar Challenge. It's by Prince, not Iokea or <laughs> Devitt, just Prince, the purple one, rest in peace. And it's from his seminal album, Purple Rain, the soundtrack to the film. This is the title track, Purple Rain. I never meant to call you when you fall wrong. I never meant to call you when you So you know how I said that Dusty had some theme songs that seemed like odd fits for him? Well, this song is a great example of that because, you know, first of all, nothing about Dusty Rhodes really screams Prince, does it? I mean, they have some similarities between them, you know, both very talented guys, very charismatic, but, you know, then again, Dusty was a white, portly, easygoing country bumpkin. Prince was a svelte, black flamboyant sex god from Minnesota, you know, two very different people. And as far as the music goes, I mean, so much of Prince's music was this sexually charged, promiscuous, romantic R&B rock funk hybrid, Purple Rain being the apex of that. You know, looking at Dusty, that's not really him, Jeff. No, but if you tie it in to the movie Purple Rain... It does make a little more sense because the Purple Rain, the movie, is the Prince, quote-unquote, rags-to-riches Horatio Alger story as the kid, you know, moves up the ranks of the music industry and, you know, and, and you know, with Morris Day in the time and whatnot. And it really, I mean, Prince in 1984 was the biggest thing going. The movie was a huge hit. And Dusty had a flair for the dramatic, and you know, with the with the chords and every the, the the strong guitar, and the sense of pageantry and how slow the song is, for Dusty to make an entrance to this song with you know with uh, 
dry ice blowing smoke all over the place and things like that. <laughs> it, it, it has a certain, you know, it, it, it ties into Dusty's flair for the dramatic. Right, yeah. I, I mean, on its own, this isn't a song that's conducive to being an exciting wrestling theme. You know, it, it's a long, slow, moody, romantic power ballad. Emotionally stirring, for sure, but it doesn't have... It's that more of a ha- heel song, is what it is. It, it's that, it's that slowish, you know, grandeur type of thing that the snobby type of heel would, would do it, but... I think what Dusty was going for here is that big fight feel that you'd get in boxing and stuff like that and slow. Um, here's something I didn't know. I, this was actually one of the songs I kind of read up on. I mean, I've heard Purple Rain, you know, since it was released. I didn't realize this was written for Stevie Nicks originally. Yeah, I've heard that story too. Um, I mean, Prince is someone who has written plenty of songs for other people. Right. Um, one of the biggest being Manic Monday by the Bangles. He wrote that under the pen name Christopher. Mm-hmm. But he's done that for, like, you know, Morris Day. He's done that for Sheena Easton, Patti LaBelle, and in this case, Stevie Nicks, who couldn't do it. So Prince took it, and the rest is history. Yeah, he wanted her to add lyrics, I guess, as opposed to having a full-on song right, on it. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, that, that, I, I had not known that uh, beforehand, but... Uh, yeah, and Stevie know. was like, this is way too much, you know. It's, it's so daunting, I can't do it. So Prince got it and made Purple Rain. Yeah, Purple Rain would be more of a Ric Flair theme here, even which is weird because, you know, he had that kind of lavender color robe. And, and, you know, and this is kind of something that, you know, a guy with a flowing robe would come out to as opposed to blue collar hero Dusty Rhodes. It's, so, it's such a weird choice. Yeah, I mean, on paper, I don't think it fits Dusty all that well. But Dusty, you know, smart as he was probably realized, okay, this isn't the perfect song for a wrestling theme, but it's the perfect moment to use it. Because mm-hmm. Purple Rain, by all accounts, was just a monster around this time. You know, because Stark 84 was in November of that year. The album came out in June and was number one for like 24 weeks or whatever. The film came out in July and was a box office success. The song went to number two in the charts. You know, it, it just it, it enraptured pop culture as soon as it came out. And Prince became a megastar, and kudos to Dusty for realizing that, you know, and capitalizing on it. And also, Prince didn't have his army of lawyers mobilized just yet, <laughs> so they could have sued the pants off of Dusty for using the song without his permission. Because I doubt he had permission to use this Right. Song. <laughs> are, are you a revolution guy? Are you a Prince solo guy? Are you a Prince in the new power generation guy? Uh, you know, the stuff I listen to the most from him would probably be Solo and Revolution, not so much New Power Generation. Um, although I, I do like a little bit of that stuff from that era. Um, you know, Sexy MF is a great song. Cream uh, is, is Cream, the best of that, That's I good, think. too. I yeah, mean, yeah. I, like Diamonds, I, I like Diamonds and Pearls, but for me, I mean, the Revolution, Raspberry Beret is the perfect pop song. It, it's possibly one of three perfect pop songs out there. I just, I love it. I love Prince and the Revolution. It's, uh, if you get a chance, I went to uh, Minneapolis for the Final Four uh, this past year. And on the off day, I went to uh, Paisley Park, um, the uh, the recording studio and everything. And you can take a tour of it. And it's, uh, it's a fascinating, fascinating tour. I imagine, yeah, yeah. But, um, but yeah, I agree with you on Prince 100%. You know, Prince is... Prince is Prince. You know, he's got a million and one hits in the bank. You got the look. Little Red Corvette, Raspberry Beret, 
um, Alphabet Street, Kiss, I Want to Be Your Lover, it goes on and on and on, um, including on the album Purple Rain, which also had a bunch of hits on there, like Wind Doves Cry and Let's Go Crazy, which you know, it got me thinking, you know, maybe in another timeline, Dusty would have used one of Prince's more upbeat, exciting songs like Let's Go Crazy. Um, or 1999, or even. That too, like yeah, that the too. Opening synths. For sure, yeah. But what you said about Purple Rain and, you know, Dusty's flair for the dramatic, I, I can definitely agree with you on that. Yeah, if you if you ever want to hear an inter- interesting stories about Prince, listen to uh, Kevin Smith's uh, stories that, that are t- they're on YouTube about uh, wanting to do a documentary for Prince and all the uh, travails that Prince put him through. <laughs> Theme number two, and uh, this one, according to my research, was also used at Starkid 84. It's by Bob Seeger and the Silver Bullet Band off the album Stranger in Town. This is Old Time Rock and Roll. Now, this is more like it. You know, this is right up Dusty's Alley. It's a nice southernish boogie-woogie rock song that's all about old-school rock and roll. We got the guitar, we got the piano, the saxophone. Uh, the backing band is the Muscle Shoals rhythm section. Mm-hmm. It was recorded at Muscle Shoals in Alabama, as well as Detroit. And Bob Seger is one of the ultimate heartland Americana rockers. I mean, it's just, it's so perfect for Dusty the Heartland Americana Southerner, and it's perfect for JCP, the Mid-Atlantic Territory, right in the Carolinas, in the South, in the Midwest. Those crowds, you know, they love their Bob Seger and their old-time rock and roll, Jeff. It's perfect. There's more of an A to B connection here uh, than a lot of people make, and it has to do with Dusty Rhodes promos when he said, when you're fighting with me, daddy, it's risky business. Yep. And risky business... This is from the soundtrack. If I could destroy two songs, it would be this one and the contours. Do you love me? Um, it's it's look, it's a classic song, but I hate it. I hate it so. I love Bob Seger. Love the Bob Seger system. Love Bob Seger's '90s stuff like Shakedown. Love all his '70s and '80s stuff. Even like Like a Rock. Cannot stand this song. Want to know why? Because every radio station can play it. Adult contemporary. Hits radio, classic rock radio. (laughs) It's just, it's like Hotel California or anytime Sting or Eric Clapton come out with a new song. It's it's just one of those things that is just overplayed to the point where I want to toss it. But it also has one of the most fascinating backstories in terms of it as an actual song that I absolutely love. Um, I love the Muscle Shoals rhythm section. 
if you've never watched the documentary Muscle Shoals and you are a music historian of any kind, it is a must-watch. But it, during the end credits, uh, David Wood goes into the legend of Howie McDonald. Howie McDonald was a 15- or 16-year-old kid um, who I believe his father was a professor at the University of Alabama. And they were going through town, and he was an amateur guitar player who really wanted to play guitar, and they had stopped at the Muscle Shoals recording facility on on a vacation, and he just walked up and goes, I, you know, I'd really like to know how to be a session player. And they go, come on in, let's see what you got. And he got to play the guitar solo on old-time rock and roll. And it was so successful that he quit school or whatever. He goes, no, I'm going to pack up everything and move to Bustle Shoals. And then he never got a gig. He could never catch on onto any of the two, either of the two uh, recording studios there as a session player. And he's kind of become this mythic thing. I mean, he plays blues guitar in his own band. I think he's changed his name back to his dad's name. But it's one of those things where it's like, there are such things as one-hit wonders on session players, too, and it just happened to be this 16-year-old kid who was, whose parents stayed in the parking lot with the car running and the AC on <laughs> while he's in there making this hit record with Bob Seger. Well, I, I didn't know about that story, but as far as what you said before about never wanting to hear this song ever again, I would accuse you of being a psychic because I feel the exact same way. When this comes on the radio in the car... It is an instant skip. I just, I, I just, I can't dun, dun, listen. Dun, 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 oh dun, dun, dun. God, damn, I just, I can't. And, <laughs> and, and listen, listen. I love Bob Seger. Yeah. And a lot of his songs. I mean, Main Street, Night Moves, Her Strut, Like Her a Strut's Rock, great. Rock and Roll Never Forgets, Hollywood Nights. I mean, so many great songs. But I never, ever, ever want to hear old time rock and roll ever again because it's not a bad song per se. But like you said, Jeff. We've heard it 8 billion times already, whether on the radio commercials, or commercials, yeah, TV shows, movies, uh, parodies of the risky business scene. It's just, it's so overplayed. I mean, for the sake of the podcast, I listened to it. And, and yes, it fits Dusty. It fits his style. It fits the territory. And it is capitalizing on the recent popularity of the song in the movie. But putting all that aside... You know, if this song was put on a rocket ship and blasted off into space and we never had to hear it again, I, I'd be a happy boy there, Jeff. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what, my, one of my my favorite Bob Seger song is from the old Bob Seger system, which is when he's a teenager. Basically, he, he was the Steve Winwood of Detroit rock. You know, 16 to 18, he was like had this gravelly, soulful voice playing on these things. And there's a there's a song on the uh, it's on the soundtrack of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood called Ramblin' Gamblin' Man. And it is a banger. I uh, that is in my top three songs of all time. Love that song. Love that song. Would have been my wrestling theme or one of them if I if uh, I had kept on training. I will say I, I do have a point of contention with this song in regards to the gist of it, because it's basically just you know one big romanticizing of the olden days of rock and roll, but it also takes digs at modern music. You know today's music ain't got the same soul. 
I like that old time rock and roll. And it's like, uh, Dusty, you do realize you just used Purple Rain on the same show, right? Which at the time was literally today's music. So, you know, Jeff, Dusty, a little bit of a hypocrite there, I think. <laughs> hey, don't want to take me to a disco. You'll never see me out on the floor. And yet he's out there in polka dots, you know, shaking to, <laughs> to American Dream. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I know what turned me on this song. It was either the Chipmunks version or there was some acapella uh, arrangement that show choir started singing at some time. It just absolutely turned me off to this song forever. But, you know, I, I love Bob Seger, but if I never list, hear this song again, it'll be too soon. Moving on now to the next theme, and Dusty used this one at Starcade 85, The Gathering. Like Purple Rain, this is from a soundtrack to a movie. Uh, in this case, Footloose. It's by Bonnie Tyler, and this is Holding Out for a Hero. you know what I said about never wanting to hear old-time rock and roll ever again? Well, this song is the polar opposite of that. I love this song so freaking much. Whenever it comes on in the car, I crank it up nice and loud. I sing along to the words. It's just, it's so much fun with the epic vocals and the background chorus and the frenetic sense. I mean, it's just, it's so perfectly over-the-top 80s schlock. And in the over-the-top world of 80s wrestling, Jeff, that is the perfect music to use. I, I love it so much. It's Jim Steinman to a T. Jim Steinman, um, famously the composer of a lot of meatloafs, more operatic stuff, like Bat Out of Hell and I Would Do Anything for Love, but I won't do that. Um, I know a lot about Jim Steinman from listening to the Tony Kornheiser show. I believe he was a childhood friend of Tony Kornheiser. So you hear a lot of Jim Steinman stories a lot. It amazes me how in rock and roll, as opposed to other genres, you are considered washed up if you haven't put out a song in two years. Because this was, um, I, I forget if this was, if this, if it was this or Total Eclipse of the Heart which was also a Steinman tune, I believe, was considered her comeback. 
And she had just had a song like four years earlier. It, it, it's like when Steve Winwood did Back in the High Life in 86. It was like his last album was in 83. It's not like he's been gone forever, but it was considered this major renaissance, which is always funny uh, for me. People of your generation do not realize how much of a juggernaut the Footloose soundtrack was. This thing was on the charts forever, and it had six hits on the thing. And all of them got major, major airplay, and a lot of them still get airplay today. Let me read you the first, or not the first six tracks necessarily, but six songs from this soundtrack. You have Footloose, the title track from Kenny Loggins. Let's Hear It For The Boy by Denise Williams, which was used as Terry Taylor's theme, I believe, at one time. Uh, Almost Paradise by Ann Wilson of Heart and Mike uh, is it Mike Reno of Lover Boy. Yep, yep. Holding Out for a Hero. Dancing in the Sheets by Shalimar, which was a big R&B hit and also a big pop hit. And I'm Free, Heaven Helps the Man by Kenny Loggins again. That's a murderer's row of 80s early 80s pop hits right there, one after the other after the other after the other. Footloose was such a weird, big hit. I didn't like it when I saw it as a kid. I'm like, all right, kids learning to dance against, you know, John Lithgow playing this preacher was oppressive. I, I, you know, I was like, okay, it's okay. It's basically one long music video, and then when they decided to remake it, I was like, uh, it's not going to work in this day and age because nobody dances like a white Kevin Bacon anymore. But um, this song, I love. But when it became ironic nostalgia, I started to get sick of it. And I'm kind of moving now through back to loving it again. Because everybody would use this as, as you know, the, uh, you know, oh, I got to go do something. And then, boom, I need a hero. You know, whatever. You know, it was used in, like, a couple of product commercials I can't remember at the time. But uh, I love Bonnie Tyler's gravelly voice almost like uh kim carnes in a way i i think she's spectacular and yeah this song is great well a couple things uh number one this came out after total eclipse of the heart yeah i, I knew that i just didn't know how many how long was the time between the two uh eclipse was 83 okay so she was this was almost the follow-up hit so to speak right okay also, uh, the song Footloose was used in All Japan for the tag team Footloose oh, yes. with Kawada and Fuyuki, and it's been used by Masanobu Fuji for, like, well over 30 years at this point. So, Footloose, you know, it's had its little place in wrestling history, that's for sure. Um, now, as far as this song goes, you know, it, it's the right mix of drama and energy. Because <laughs> and cheese! And cheese! And, you gotta and, say and cheese, of course. You have, like, the rain sound effects and the wind and the thunder. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> the cheese is there, too, of course, of course. But, um, you, know, you know, with Dusty, he's all about the drama and the yeah. emotion and pulling at the heartstrings. So, you know, having a song that can match it works wonders. And it's got a nice fast pace to it. It feels urgent. It gets your blood pumping. And the emotion and story of the song is, is on point. You know, where have all the good men gone? Where are all the gods? Isn't there a white knight, a Superman, someone reaching back to me? I need a hero. I'm holding out for a hero. Well, you can't get more of a hero than uber, ultra, white meat, hard times promo babyface Dusty Goddamn Rhodes. You need a hero? He's your man, Jeff. 
Not exactly the romantic lead, though, that you're thinking no, of this hero fairy no, tale. No, that's true. That's true. But, you know, he's still a hero, all right? Come on. Okay. I will not, I will not, uh, I will not fight you on that. Okay. Um, and you can tell that it's a great song, not just for Dusty, but for wrestling in general, based on the fact that so many guys have used it over the years, like Tom Zank, Chris Hero, Chris Bosch. <laughs> Um, Billy Jack Haynes, Dingo Warrior, uh, the Von Erics used it in a music video back in the day in World Class. Like, this has gotten a fair amount of use, not just in the 80s, but also in more recent times. And, and you know, why not? It works. Chris Hero using this, uh... Well, I mean, naturally. I, I... <laughs> naturally, of course. <laughs> I, I saw that, I go... The irony is strong in him. Yes. <laughs> Everybody else, like Dingo and Billy Jack Haynes and Zink and the Von Erics, probably a little bit too seriously using Holding <laughs> Out for a Hero on those music videos. Chris Hero, tongue firmly planted in cheek. I, I think so. I think so, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the man wearing his Superman parody logo on his chest. Maybe a little bit tongue-in-cheek mm-hmm. there, for sure. Yeah, might be. Just might be. Up next, we'll take a, a little left turn away from the general rock spectrum towards the world of jazz. Uh, Dusty had this song on a show called Superstars on the Superstation, which aired on TBS in February of 86. This is by the legendary Louis Armstrong off of the album Hello, Dolly. This is his version of the pop standard Hello, Dolly. This is Louis Dollar. It's so nice to have you back where you belong. You looking swell, Dollar. I can't tell, Dollar. You still glowing, you still glowing, you still going strong. I feel the room swaying from the band's playing. Our old favorite songs from way back when. So take a rap, fellas. Find an empty lap, fellas. Dolly, never go away again. So, Jeff, you're the expert on this whole 80s wrestling time period here, but I will attempt to lay out why Dusty came out to this song. Okay. So, Tully Blanchard had a manager named Baby Doll, mm-hmm. and Blanchard was feeding with Dusty at the time. Mm-hmm. Dusty won a cage match over Tully at Great American Bash in 85, yes. which meant that he won Baby Doll's managerial services for 30 days. Yes. And that was the impetus for the eventual face turn for Baby Doll. Because one night, Tully got mad at her for something, and he fired her, and he slapped her, and then Dusty made the save. So she became a face, and became Dusty's manager. Which brings us to this show here, with Dusty versus Tully again, and I guess as a way to mock Tully, and rub in his face that Baby Doll was now Dusty's manager... Dusty comes out to Hello, Dolly, which is a very lovely, upbeat, positive song about Dolly and how nice it is to be around her. Did I get all that right, Jeff? 
Andrew, you remember the last episode we recorded when Jim Cornette used Walking on Sunshine? I do. Because he had a feud with Sunshine. Yes, this is trolling. This is trolling Tully Blanchard. This is supposed to make him very, very angry. Uh, Hello, Dolly, from the Broadway show of the same name. You know, the, you know, has a very strutty type of cadence to it. So, yes, you are absolutely correct in all of that. I am trying to piece together my timeline. This is 86 or 85 when he does February this? of 86. 86. Okay. So, I believe... And do not quote me on this, because I might be getting my timelines mixed up. This was... Was this the time where Dusty won Baby Doll for 30 days, and she rode off on the horse at Nelson Royal's farm to get away from Dusty? (laughs) She was just saying, I'm just going to ride the horse for a little bit, and then did it, and then went back to Tully, and Tully wouldn't take her back for some reason, or this was when they wanted to bring in JJ anyways, because Dusty wanted to be with Baby Doll, and when Dusty wants to be with Baby Doll, uh, <laughs> despite being a married man at the time, um, yeah, a lot going on behind the scenes as well. Leading into this, I believe Baby Doll had just started to date Sam Houston around this time. Um, but yeah, you're you're correct on most of that. I just can't remember if 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 Baby Doll had gone heel before this and turned Babyface again. Or if this well, was, Baby Doll is a face here. Or, I know it's when she's a face, but it was whether or not this is the first time as a face or when she's pretending to be a face. But, ah, okay. But I believe this is when she's full on baby face. Well, JJ is Tully's manager for the match here, right? So yeah, yeah. So so that would make sense. That'd be after the turn. But yeah, that's what this was, and this was for uh, superstars on the Superstation, the precursor to Clash of the Champions. Yeah, I mean, storyline aside, it's such it's such an odd and uncommon song for a wrestling theme, I think, you because know, it's from a musical, it's by Louis Armstrong, and it's jazz. It's a jazz song, which, compared to the majority of music that was used during this time period, you know, mostly rock, metal, pop, country, whatever, jazz is, you know, it's an out-there pick. And this song, while it was a hit for Louis Armstrong, it came out in the 60s. Uh, for a musical that also came out in the 60s. So, you know, out of all of the songs here that Dusty used in JCP, I think this is one of the stranger ones, Jeff. Yeah, but in a way, you know, Satchmo, Louis Armstrong, who to me is possibly the greatest entertainer, American entertainer ever. There's a lot of pro wrestling in Louis Armstrong. His backstory is somewhat unknown his birthday always kind of changed to, you know, to fit a certain thing. And just, you know, he, he was a teller of tall tales, a liver of the high life, and very good at what he did. But he also always appreciated the showmanship of everything. He wasn't the best singer in the world. But, you know, he had a distinctive voice. And, you know, he was the best cornet player in the world. To me, in history, I mean, it, the way he plays that with power, uh, I mean, my brother was a trumpet cornet player as well, and he was just like, I'm never going to be like this guy. I'm like, don't worry about it. You're measuring yourself against the best who ever did it. But Satchmo, I mean, you know, he, he wanted to be in movies. He wanted to do everything, including Broadway. So, I mean, 
you know, I can see Dusty having a little bit of respect, even though, uh, look, the, the song on its face is just, it's a troll job on t- Tully. It worked, because t- I believe Tully freaks out when he hears this. Um, but, you know, Louis Armstrong had a flair for the dramatic, and so did Dusty Rhodes. So, I, I, you know, Dusty always gravitated towards greatness. I could see I couldn't see Dusty Rhodes necessarily playing a lot of Louis Armstrong records because I think he was far more of a country guy, but I could see him having a glowing respect for for Louis Armstrong in some ways. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club Slab Pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you, you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network our bodies come in different shapes and sizes so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. 
And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. And it's not like I'm saying that jazz music can never be used in wrestling because, you know, there have been themes that have used it over the years. But I, I just feel like there has to be a, a caveat, you know, an added <laughs> twist anybody, in there. I don't think anybody's coming out to like Miles Davis's fusion stuff. No, you know, no, like. <laughs> no, like, uh, like the theme for jazz, the wrestler in WWE that had the jazz saxophone in there, but. It also had the Jim Johnston metal guitars. Yeah. Uh, Lana's song. That has some contemporary beats to it. Same with uh, the old Yujiro Takahashi theme, All Night Long. Uh, same with the Marcus Corvan theme, Smooth. Yeah. You know, you have to add something to the mix to, to spruce up the jazz to make it work as a theme. At least for long term. You know, because, yeah, in this context, for this match, yes, this will work. But outside of that, or for long-term purposes, it gets a bit trickier to use, Jeff. And I'll, I'll admit, a lot of my bias towards Louis Armstrong is because he is the centerpiece of Ken Burns' jazz series, and that thing is absolutely fantastic if you watch that. I mean, because there, there'll be people who... <laughs> music. If any music purists ever listen to this show, they'll be going, No, Sidney Bechet, man, that's the guy. It's like, okay, okay, great, you know. <laughs> Theme number five, and this will be our first country song of the episode. Uh, Dusty had this one at Starcade 86, Night of the Skywalkers. It's not the Star Wars theme, although that would be a, a logical choice given the name of the show. Uh, no, instead, it's Hank Williams Jr. and Huey Lewis. Yes, that Huey Lewis. Off of Hank's album, Montana Cafe. This is their version of You Can't Judge a Book by Looking at the Cover. So we touched on this a little bit with the Bob Seger song, but we'll dive into it more here. You know, Dusty being a dyed-in-the-wool, tried-and-true Southerner, born and raised in Texas, naturally he'll use some country-western and 
southern music for his themes. Um, but just looking at this song, and one he'll use later on, you mentioned the term, Jeff, Outlaw Country. This is Outlaw Country. I mean, you know, less polish, less grandiosity, more grit, more realism. And Hank Williams Jr. is one of the more prominent Outlaw Country guys ever. Huey Lewis, eh, maybe not so much, but, but certainly Williams. And you can hear that in this song, where there is that grit, there is that, that dirty southern rock blue sound with the electric guitar and the harmonica and that, that Bo Diddley 16-bar blues riff. I mean, to me, this sound just fits Dusty so well because, yeah, he can be the nice southern gent, but he's also got this gritty, violent, outlaw streak in him. I mean, hell, he was in a tag team called the Texas Outlaws with Dick Murdoch. So, as far as genres go, I think Outlaw Country is the most fitting sound for Dusty yet, Jeff. Yeah, this is uh, Bo Diddley by way of Willie Dixon, uh, Chicago Blues, um, you know, that drive, you know, Bo Diddley basically did one song. It didn't matter who wrote it, but it always, uh, all of it sounded the same, and it's a great song. Uh, this is uh, Bo Cephas, uh, Hank Williams Jr., uh, and Huey Lewis. Look, you can uh, you can denigrate Huey Lewis all you want. Huey hey, I Lewis, enjoy the guy. Don't get me wrong. I mean, a lot of people are like, well, you know, he's, oh, you mean the guy whose music they play in American Psycho? <laughs> Huey Lewis has one of the more fascinating backstories of any rock and roll guy I know, but um, I'll get to that in a second. But yeah, this, I believe, is... A lot of the promos, this is another Dusty Rhodes match, or another Dusty Rhodes-Tully uh, Blanchard match at Night of the Skywalkers. And I believe a lot of the promos were about, you know, Dusty being able to hang cardio-wise and be as tough and being as bad as Tully Blanchard was and be as conniving to be able to draw blood from another human being and stuff. So, yeah, no, this this fits. This is a little tongue-in-cheek action. Um, it... Actually, this week, Huey Lewis, there's an article on him, I believe, in GQ, written by Dave Holmes, who I am friendly with, the guy who lost the, uh, <laughs> the... Everybody knows Dave Holmes as, oh, he's the guy who lost to that Jesse guy on the VJ search, but uh, he's a very talented writer and music historian, and he went up to Montana to visit with Huey Lewis, and oh, once you know, Huey Lewis is actually in Hollywood tonight on Jimmy Kimmel. Hmm. Um, <laughs> but uh, San Francisco, son of a beat poet or something like that, uh, gets into Cornell, decides to do a, a gap year busking in Europe playing harmonica, ends up at Cornell at the Ivy League and, and playing harmonica in a band and drops out and decides to do this, uh, do, do this uh, blues thing. And maybe, you know... Go <laughs> and then they eventually get into rock, and you know, eventually, after writing some songs, gets a chance to record with his own band, and you know, the first one, couple don't do as well, and then all of a sudden they record this thing called Sports after calling themselves the News, and uh, it's it, the rest is history. I, I'm I'm a uh, I'm a fan of Huey Lewis again after you know the mid '80s when he had all the hits, he was good, and then he got into his acting phase and a little too serious, and now he's now he has you have that kind of ironic thing where it's like he's uh he's he's great again but uh he has an inner ear thing now where he can't hear so he can't really sing because he'd be off pitch because of years of being in clubs and and things like that but Huey Lewis is a fascinating 
read if you go into that. And, and you know, Bo Cephas, <laughs> Bo Cephas is unfortunately known as the guy who sang the, uh, uh, the Monday night football theme, all my rowdy friends are coming over tonight, but he's the son of, yeah, and being the son of the legendary Hank Williams and for having certain political opinions, that get him in trouble from time to time. But, uh, a great musician on his own who had to overcome, you know, the shadow of his dad. So, I mean, I'm this, this album is pretty good. It's a duets album, I believe, uh, recorded in Memphis. Yeah. Yeah. And, and getting back to the song here, um, you know, obviously the theme of it is you can't judge a book by the cover. That was dusty Rhodes. you know, looking at him, not exactly a Greek God when it came to body shape, you know, he was heavy. He had the gut, the man boobs and whatnot, but don't judge a book by the cover. Because despite his body, he was one of the most popular guys around. People loved him. And he could kick your ass, too. You know, the line from the Hard Times promo, I don't look like the athlete of the death, both the look. My belly's just a little big. My hand is a little big. But brother, I am bad, and they know I'm bad. And you know, he's right, Jeff. Oh, yeah. He, it, it's exactly it. You look at him, and I'm a little too, I'm a little too pudgy. You know, my face, you know, he'll, he'd always say, you know, I'm not the best looking guy, but, the, but then he'd also come back and go, but I'm so sexy and I come out so clean. <laughs> um, I, you know, he, he was just, he was a walking set of contradictions in terms of everything he would say in his promos versus how he actually viewed himself quite a bit. And, but, uh, you know, it was all about a lot of the money Dusty Rhodes made was all about these high caliber athletes saying they're going to beat up the fat guy. So, I mean, yeah, so this song is perfect. Yeah, and then the jolly fat guy ends up being this hardcore brawler a lot of times. You know, how many street fights did he have? How many cage matches? How many bunkhouse brawls and, and bull rope matches? How many times did he just bleed buckets during a match? You know, Dusty, for all his talk of being the hero and the good guy... He could raise hell when need be, which speaks to what you said about him earlier, Jeff, you know, him being the walking contradiction. Fascinated by this piece of Huey Lewis trivia. I did not know this. So when uh, Huey Lewis, of course, worked with Robert Zemeckis and and Spielberg to do um, the Back to the Future soundtrack, the producers of Ghostbusters came to Ray Parker and basically said, we want something that sounds like Huey Lewis. So when Ray Parker wrote Ghostbusters, Huey Lewis thought it sounded a little bit too much like his style and ended mm-hmm. up suing him. And they ended up they ended up having a settlement out of court. That I did not know that. That is fascinating. <laughs> well, speaking of Huey Lewis, I, I want to go over the track list for sports because this thing. Oh, it's I a mean, murderer's row. It the is. songs on this one, my God, you've got the heart of rock and roll, heart and soul, bad as bad, which is a deep cut gem in my opinion. Yes, I love bad as bad. Um, I Want a New Drug, Walking on a Thin Line, Finally Found a Home, If This Is It, You Crack Me Up, and Honky Tonk Blues. I mean, that is just hit after hit after hit after hit. It, it's a pretty damn big album, Jeff. Yeah. Um, and I believe this was on, on the charts for like two years or something total. But it, it uh, yeah, I mean, just everything was hit after hit after hit. And uh, that, then he went and worked with Bruce Hornsby, who is also very underrated as well. So... Um, yeah, Huey Lewis in the news. Couldn't, you could not escape 1984 through 1986 without knowing at least one of his songs. And I think I had, I know I had the cassette for sports, and I think I had, uh, I think I had Heart of Rock and Roll, and I believe Bad as Bad was the B side of that. Don't 
quote me on that. And then I had, uh, I want a new drug on 45. <laughs> That's how old I am. <laughs> I had 45s. Do you like Huey Lewis and the news? Um, I, I did as a kid. I, I see. I always, when I, when I was that age, I gravitated towards, I, I gravitated towards kind of that high tenor blue eyed soul type sound. So, I mean, my, my favorite artist, of course, as I always name drop him is Steve Winwood. So it, it was, it's always, it's those kinds of sounds, you know, Bob Seger as well, you know, that, that blue eyed soul type of thing. That's why I got into Zeppelin when I did anybody doing soul covers I, I'm down with. So I'm good. Well, I was quoting American oh, Psycho you were doing, there, you were doing, you were but, doing, but yes, thanks for the answer, I, I, I realized guess. That half, <laughs> I, uh, you were doing Patrick Bateman, and I realized that halfway through, and I went, I stepped on his bit. I feel like such a douche. I'm so That's sorry. okay. That's okay. Don't worry about Your it. Your humor is very droll, Andrew. So <laughs> it was one of those things where I didn't pick up on the on the nuance of it. It was That's how good it was. And see, I'm the asshole for doing that. Hey, Jeff, swing. <laughs> <laughs> Why is there so much newspaper around here? Why, why is there all this plastic, plastic. tarp yeah. there? Yeah. <laughs> the next year, uh, Starkade 87, Chi-Town Heat is where Dusty uses his next theme. Uh, this one, another sizable left turn off the path. Uh, this is from 1962, off of the soundtrack to the film Hatari. Uh, which is not a movie about video games, folks, okay? Uh, oh, this is, is so I'm bad. sorry, I'm sorry, I had to, I had to. <laughs> uh, this is by the composer Henry Mancini, and this is The Baby Elephant Walk. Again, much like with Hello, Dolly, this is a rather peculiar choice for entrance music because it's the first time we've had a song that wasn't a traditional pop song. You know, it's not rock, it's not country, it's not new wave. I mean, even Hello, Dolly had vocals and lyrics. This is just an orchestral instrumental with brass instruments and woodwinds and the calliope. You know, it's film score from a movie from the 60s during a scene where baby elephants are bathing in a watering hole. Now, just based on the title and the sound, you know, I can guess why it would fit Dusty Rhodes. You know, baby elephant, <laughs> you do the math right there. I just don't know what the impetus was for him having the song at all. Like, with Hello Dolly, yes, there was Baby Doll, there's Tully, the troll factor, I get that. But with this, you know, I'm a bit more perplexed, Jeff. Who was his opponent at Starcade 87? Uh, oh boy, um, I am having a brain fart on this one. Um, who, who was it? It was Lex Luger. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. 
And so the juxtaposition of how Lex Luger looked, and it was all about Lex Luger being the future of this business, and how cut he was, and how much time he had spent in the gym, and how he was the new breed of athlete in professional wrestling this day, versus Dusty Rhodes, who looks nothing like Lex Luger. That That's your answer right there. You know what? I knew it was Luger because it was in my notes and I forgot all about it. So I heard you typing. I was like, I thought you knew. Right? That. Yeah, I'm just I'm a dummy because <laughs> I forgot to look down at my notes there. But but yeah, it was Lex Luger and Luger looking real jacked, baby, as Booker T would say. So you know, Dusty was probably like, you know what? I know I'm not gonna match this guy in the looks department, but I'm gonna own it. I'll take the sting out of the joke before he can do it. Um, at least that's the way I see it, Jeff. It's the Simpsons joke when Homer comes out to fight Dedrick Tatum to why can't we be friends by <laughs> war? That's all this is. I mean, I, I don't think, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think Dusty was a big Henry Mancini fan. Maybe he liked <laughs> the Pink Panther theme or Moon River, but <laughs> uh, or or later Shaggy. Because <laughs> man, you know what really drives me crazy? Um, that's Baby Elephant Walk. Um. You'll recognize this song if you're a cartoon fan, because it plays in a whole heap of cartoons. It's that... You know, it, it's... When you hear the name Baby Elephant Walk, you don't realize it. It's it's uh, it's like the song that they play for any Rube Goldberg device in a cartoon. I can't remember the name of the song, but you know the tune. is that... It's it's as it's as common as that in cartoons. So um, now I got now I'm gonna have that song in my head. And I gotta go look it up eventually. But yeah, I I, I think this was just this was uh, Dusty doing ironic comedy at its best because the ladies loved him some Lex Luger because he was so sexy and he had abs on abs and look at his muscles and and Dusty uh, you know Dusty had three boobs so <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i mean you close your eyes and you picture dusty Rhodes just walking you can hear the song can't you i mean you got the woodwinds and the calliope music that's very jaunty and cute and effervescent which dusty could be but you've also got the brass in there with the tuba that adds the heft the, the lumbering quality to it and you put it together you got dusty Rhodes. Dusty, you know, a big boy in his own right, light on his feet at times, but he could throw his weight around for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it, it's fun to think about anyone coming out to this song at all, because it's the freaking baby elephant walk for crying out loud. <laughs> I'm going to have to go watch the original version of this and, and see if they say anything about his usage of this. I, I've really, I'd be really, in, I don't remember anything on commentary per se. I don't even know if they acknowledged it. Well, it's not on the network. I know that. No, it, it wouldn't be, but I can't remember the commentary for this either. And usually they always make some mention of the song that he's using. Oh, this is perfect for, you know, whatever. But uh, who knows? The music might have even been drowned out by the cheers for this because, because by the time this got around, people did want to see Dusty beat the crap out of Lex Luger. And funny enough, this is actually not the only Henry Mancini song that was used in wrestling. Um, on the Big Boss Man episode, uh, we played the Peter Gunn theme, which he used when he was Big Bubba Rogers and JCP. Oh, I had forgotten he wrote Peter Gunn. Peter Gunn's an all-time. That's one of the best TV themes ever written. Also, great video game music for Spy Hunter. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, the Art of Noise cover is great, too. Yeah. Um, and another famous song that Mancini did, which you brought up a little bit earlier, Jeff, uh, the Pink Panther theme. Uh, that was used by a few of the Vianos in Lucha. So for a composer from the 60s and 70s who won Oscars and, and Grammys, a Golden Globe, he definitely made a little mark on wrestling as well, Jeff. I believe Mark Kyle used it at one time in Smoky Mountain, too. Don't quote me on that. I know he used Green Onions, but I could swear in that Killer Kyle persona, he may have used the Pink Panther theme at one time. Well, I'm seeing here that he used Green Onions. I know he did so... Green Onions, but I thought I thought at least I can remember somebody using that kind of gangster, Mr. Hughes, Killer Kyle type look coming out to the Pink Panther at one time. I just can't remember what it, what it was, but that just might be my memory and my oldness, as you like to always <laughs> harp on. <laughs> oh, stop it, you. Come on now. <laughs> The second to last theme of the episode here, and, um, oh, wait a minute. You know what, Jeff? I, I apologize. This is supposed to be a Dusty Rhodes episode, but for some reason, I put in the theme song for the Midnight Rider, who was a completely different person. I mean, it's my mistake, sir. I apologize. That's, that's quite right. The, J- the James boys, also not Magnum and Dusty. Right, right. But, uh, but you know what? It's on there anyway. We may as well just get to it. The Midnight Rider was only around in JCP for a brief period of time, around April of 88. His theme song is by Willie Nelson, off of the soundtrack to the film The Electric Horseman. It's Willie's version of the classic Allman Brothers song, Midnight Rider. I got run to keep from So it, it doesn't take a genius to figure out why he was coming out to this one. Um, the Midnight Rider, uh, sorry to ruin Christmas, folks. Uh, it was Dusty's gimmick under a mask. Uh, it originally came about in Florida in 83 because Dusty lost a match to Kevin Sullivan and he had to leave the state for two months. Well, not long after he left, who shows up but the Midnight Rider, who sounds suspiciously like Dusty Rhodes under a mask. And J.J. Dillon was trying to prove it was him for all that time, and he just he couldn't do it. You know, classic stuff like that. Well, this was Dusty bringing back the Midnight Rider gimmick in JCP, and it's only logical that his theme would be the song that, in all likelihood, inspired the gimmick in the first place, Midnight Rider. So, it's the obvious choice to go with here, and uh, probably the only choice to go with, I think, Jeff. The Allman Brothers are one of my favorite bands um, but I do believe there is, I mean, I believe he used the Willie Nelson version on purpose, namely the outlaw country thing. I want to know how he and 
Willie Nelson, how Dusty Rhodes and Willie Nelson became friends. I don't, I've never been able to find out that story of how they met one night or whatever and how they got this burgeoning friendship. I'm guessing it was probably through David Allen Coe, one of the great pro wrestler slash country music stars, because he's all gimmick too. I've told my David Allen Coe stories before. Um, but I'm guessing that's how they became friends, because that seems like such an unlikely friendship to me, is Willie Nelson and uh, Dusty Rhodes. But I believe Willie Nelson played some of the bashes on tour as well later on. Country music wasn't really big arena type of music in the mid-'80s. It was, you know, the arena at the theme park type music, even if you were a hit country music star. Um, but I, But he used the Willie Nelson version probably because he could get permission for it from Willie. And even if he didn't, he probably used it anyways. <laughs> I mean, um, I, I'm much more of a fan of the Almond Brothers version. I think it has a cool little jazz style with the Congo drums and percussion in it versus Willie's version. Even though Willie's version is great. I'm, I'm not the biggest Willie Nelson fan in the world. I know he's big with the kids cause he likes to smoke a lot of weed, but I always thought, you know, Will, Willie Nelson is a great, great, great songwriter, but as a musician slash singer, he never did much for me versus Waylon Jennings. But look, Willie Nelson is friggin' royalty, no matter how you, no matter how you feel about his voice, because just because he wrote the song "Crazy" for Patsy Cline, and that that will always make him an all-time great. Um, the movie that this is from the soundtrack from is called The Electric Horseman. It is a dreadful movie. It is <laughs> it is bad. It's about R- Robert Redford plays this uh, aging rodeo rider who is hired by a cereal company to ride this horse with a lot of like millions of dollars of lights on it and stuff. And he he just wants this horse to go and roam and be free. And he ends up falling in love with Jane Fonda and Willie Nelson's in the movie. And Willie Nelson only plays Willie Nelson in movies. Um, <laughs> that there was there's like this run in the early '80s of putting Willie Nelson in movies like Honeysuckle Rose. You're like, who wants to see Willie Nelson act? But apparently, people did because he was in a few movies, and you're just like, what the hell? But uh, you know, Willie Nelson's kind of like the hippie cowboy. Versus, versus, you know, the hard-drinking outlaw cowboys. And, and so he makes an interesting part of that whole outlaw country genre that, you know, with Christopherson, Merle Haggard, those types. So, I mean, he's always fascinating to me. But I, I got to know somebody someday, other than Dusty, needs to tell the story of how Dusty and Willie Nelson became friends. Have you, have you seen the video of, the, of them singing together? I have not seen that, no, okay. but I have seen the interview. Um, it was on the Superstars and the Superstation show. Yes, where, by the uh, pool. Yep, uh, Tony Schiavone interviews Dusty and Willie together, and Dusty talks about how he first saw Willie perform while in high school, and they would cross paths later on and become friends, and you know how Willie's music helped get Dusty through the grind of the road, and Willie talks about how Dusty, you know, we would walk on stage on his New Year's Eve shows, and how they entertain the same people. Uh, of course, Willie's promoting a movie, too, um, Stagecoach. Oh, God! Uh, which starred him, Chris Christopherson, Johnny Cash, Waylon Jennings, um, John Schneider's in it, too. So he is promoting something. But yeah. you do see how amiable 
they are with each other. And there is a friendship there. Um, I don't know the exact moment that they became friends, but you can tell it's there. And when it comes time for the Midnight Rider to ride again in JCP, yeah, he could go for the Almond Brothers version. But Dusty being Dusty, he goes with Willie. And even though I myself also prefer the Almond Brothers version over this one, I think it just makes the most sense with Dusty that he goes with this version. It would not shock me if they crossed paths in Austin, Texas, around the same time that they were both there. It, it really would not. And if, if if they didn't, it would not shock me if Dusty Rhodes was in town for a wrestling match and he heard Willie Nelson was having a concert and knew the hotel and he just invited himself there and somehow <laughs> struck up. I mean, any of these things can be true about, about, uh, about, about those two. Um, yeah, Willie Nelson is <laughs> such a fascinating, fascinating person in music history. Um, in so ways and, and, uh, reading up on him, he, he got his big break replacing, replacing Johnny Paycheck as, uh, as the bassist in, uh, Ray Price's band. And Johnny Paycheck, of course, Famous for covering the David Allen co-song, Take, Take This, this job, job and, shove, and it. shove It. So it all just kind of mixes. Everything goes through David Allen friggin' co. Everything. Um, <laughs> if you haven't heard that story, it's on another episode I did here, but uh, of my David Allen co. concert experience. Uh, that would be the WrestleMania Themes Volume 2 episode. So check that one out. Yeah, definitely. But, uh, you know, this song. this song's so great. I, I love... I love these types of songs about outlaws on the run and they're just so weary from running, uh, bad companies, a lot like that, uh, renegade by sticks, any song with that kind of theme I'm into kind of. Right. Yeah. I mean, whichever one you prefer, Almond or Willie, the lyrics are the same and the song is essentially a wistful ode to the outlaw life. Mm -hmm. Well, I've got to run to keep from hiding and I'm bound to keep on riding and I've got one more silver dollar, but I'm not going to let them catch me. No, not going to let them catch the Midnight Rider. The rider, he's an outlaw. He's on his own. He's desperate, low on cash, the law on his tail, but he's not going to let them catch him. You know, Dusty Rhodes, the Midnight Rider, is also an outlaw. He has the cowboy hat, the bandana, the black mask with the gold outline of the robber mask over it, which is pretty cool. Um, there There's were... a bounty on, on revealing yep. his face because J.J. Dillon put a bounty on him. Whoever can show prove that Dusty Rhodes will get $50,000, I believe, was the, was, the, uh, was the bounty. There were also the vignettes where he's sitting by the campfire and people are trying to catch him and take the mask off and get the bounty and whatnot and prove it's Dusty Rhodes. But at the end of the day, they're not going to catch the Midnight Rider. All right, the final theme of the episode here, and uh, it's one that Dusty used at the Great American Bash 88. This is by Steve Martin, who was a real wild and crazy guy. No, no, no. A different Steve Martin, different one. Uh, this is from the Match Music Library, and it was featured in the NBA documentary The Drive for Five. It's called The Pursuit.
So there's not a lot of meat on the bone for this one. It's pretty basic. Just some synths, a little percussion here and there. Uh, reminds me a little bit of the Midnight Express, the, the chase in a way. But yeah, at the end of the day, it is the kind of music that you would hear in a basketball documentary or, or sports highlights. You know, it's got that steady, repetitive, deep synth backbeat. Boom, ba -da boom, ba -da boom, ba -da boom. Sets the pace. And it's overlaid with the simple, you know, inspiring main synth with ba, 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 ba. So it works for that medium. For a wrestling theme, though, it's okay. But compared to a lot of the other songs we've had so far on the episode, it just doesn't stack up. Especially in terms of the emotional stuff, Jeff. The irony of this is that it was used basically for Lakers uh, music video. The Drive for Five was about their championship run with Magic and Kareem and uh, the Showtime Lakers. And Flair was the Lakers fan. Dusty was the Boston Celtics fan um, during this time. And, and they'd bring it up on promos all the time as how, you know, Flair hanging out with James Worthy when we go to the forum. You know, when Jim Crockett made their ill-fated run in, in on the West Coast. Um, you know, to try and expand nationally. It didn't go as well as, uh, as well as they planned. Um, this is a little bit more interesting than you think. Um, the composer of this one, Steve Martin, AKA Stephen Paul Martin. Uh, yeah, it has a Lalo Schifrin slash John Tesh instrumental because John Tesh was one of these guys too, like Stephen Paul Martin, who, before you knew him from sports casting entertainment tonight, I mean, he, he was a studio musician. I mean, this is, this is straight out of the, uh, what's the name of the NBA theme that he did that basketball rock or something like that, or hoop rock or something like this. Every TV station and every radio station in the eighties and nineties had these discs, these, these, what do you call the Matt music discs? Match music. Match music. Yeah. These are, these are all the beds that you hear on local news and local commercials and local productions. And depending on the mood, you would get these types of music. We had these things in my radio station in Virginia when I was working there. You know, uh, you know what, what do you need? I need something kind of funky. So you'd go there. Stephen Paul Martin wrote songs under five different names, it appears. Probably to avoid taxes. So he could cash in on all these. Here are some of the nom de gours of one Stephen Paul Martin. Paul Osborne, Denny Savage, Steve Martin, and my favorite, Arch Bacon. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, if you're... <laughs> Arch Bacon sounds like... <laughs> It sounds like a completely made up name. <laughs> yeah. What's your name? My name's Arch Bacon, the uh, Arch Bacon Detective Agency or something <laughs> like that. But I assume he is one of these guys because you can't find a lot of biographical information on the guy, probably because you don't know what his real name is. <laughs> he probably was incorporated under an LLC or something and was using all these fake names to avoid taxes on the usage of all his songs because I, I went back actually and I looked up a lot of these CDs and stuff and you can find some of these songs online here and there. Yeah. I, you'll hear them and you'll go, I've heard that in a TV station bed or, you know, morning news coming back. You know, it's, it's that very, <laughs> it's 
that it's that John Tesh, David Sanborn type stuff. Like like if you, if, if, smooth jazz, ninety three point seven, the wave <laughs> type of music type stuff. You know, it it's very it's elevator music. This is what this guy did. But these were also like when WCW later, um, during the Nitro era, a few years later, they had basically upgraded the music selection for you know, commercials and stuff. And that's all WCW used. So this, it, it would not shock me if Dusty Rhodes was in the TBS, you know, production studios, found all these songs, or he had heard the, uh, the Lakers theme at the time because they, they played this for a music video or something goes, what's the name of that song? And the TBS people had it in their production trucks or at the, at the CNN studios and, you know, the, their choice of musics, you know, we used to call them beds cause we'd have them on eight track here and there, but then it turned into CDs and we'd have them all on there too. But, uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is lame as hell, but it sounds cool. You know, it, it, this is very heavy synth. Um, you're, you're dead on when you say very midnight expressy, uh, that, that was my first thought too, but it's very mid eighties synth Yanni John Tesh type of stuff. Right. Right. I mean, if I could tie it to dusty, um, the title of the song is called the pursuit and the drive for five documentary was about the 86, 87 Lakers yep. and their pursuit to win the NBA finals, which they did. And at the Bash 88, Dusty was trying to win back the NWA U.S. title from Barry Windham because he was the champion. Then he got stripped of the belt for attacking Jim Crockett. Windham won the belt in a tournament, and now Dusty is trying to get the belt back. So he's in pursuit of the NWA U.S. title. And it may not be the drive for five, more like the drive for two, but that would be my reasoning behind Dusty um, having this song, I suppose. I think the tie-in is definitely the Lakers and the Lakers were a championship dynasty. And that's what Dusty thought of himself. I could, I could very well see him, you know, even if the Celtics had used it, use it, but, but going, man, the Lakers are what back then, because there wasn't as much cable TV and, you know, you, you'd have to watch the finals on tape delay sometimes, depending on what time zone you were in. There wasn't a huge, there wasn't NBA basketball on every night. It wasn't that big of a league. And the Showtime Lakers and the Bird Celtics in the mid '80s, going into the Detroit Pistons Bad Boys, are what really, and then and then of course Michael Jordan and the Bulls. That's what really made the NBA a television commodity in terms of the hit juggernaut that you see now with the monster ratings and the giant contracts and stuff. I could just see him going, "Look, the Lakers are, for lack of a better term, the gold standard of the NBA." I am the same thing about professional wrestling. I'm going to use that song. Yeah, people love winners. You know, mm-hmm. I I remember when I was a little kid in the late 90s, just the absolute fervor throughout the entire country for two guys, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, mm-hmm. trying to get to 70 home runs. I mean, those guys helped bring baseball out of the doldrums because people like seeing that stuff. You know, the line from the opening speech in Patton, Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. You know, they liked seeing winning and success and achievements, and Dusty was capitalizing on that for sure. And they liked dynasties. They liked dynasties and sustained excellence as well. I mean, you you being in the Pacific, or not Pacific Northeast, the Northeast uh, with, the, with the Patriots. I mean, they're going to have fans for the next 40 years based on their run here in the early aughts to now. So, um, yeah, I mean, people love winners. People love... 
people love sustained excellence, and that's what the Showtime Lakers were under Riley. I mean, this was the drive for five. So I could see Dusty going, yeah, and this is, you know what, I'm going to be a five-time world heavyweight champion too, baby. You know, whatever. You know, whatever his thinking was, he wanted to associate himself with the best. And so he probably did this because it was associated with the champs at the time. And I think as well, it symbolizes a couple different things. Um, Number one, this is the last Dusty theme in JCP uh, because the company was in such dire straits, financially speaking, in 88, that it was sold to Ted Turner and became WCW. And Dusty would leave soon afterwards because of a dispute with Turner over the use of blood. Um, And number two, it heralds a changing of the guard, so to speak, in terms of what kind of music WCW would be using going forward for the most part, which are the library songs. You know, as this podcast can attest to many a time, uh, 90s WCW was just overloaded with music library songs. And there was in-house stuff with the Slam Jam music. And eventually Jimmy Hart and Howard Helm would come in and do their stuff. But there was such a swinging of the pendulum away from pop music and real songs towards these... Things you you don't have to pay rights fees on. Exactly, yeah. You don't have to worry about music labels and artist contracts and rights fees just get a song and, and pop it in and dusty using a song like this is i think an omen of what's to come for that company dude you have to google arch bacon <laughs> <laughs> i i just i i had done this before and i hadn't realized it but that first listen to this first if you can play it, the first youtube link it's called uh arch bacon happy jack and it's for an emergency broadcast system and as you play it, you go, yes, this is the theme song for every local commercial bed or whatever you've ever heard, pretty much. It's this upbeat, jazzy, synthesized thing. Yes, this is an emergency broadcast system for uh, Ohio, Cuyahoga, Ohio, Guernsey, Ohio. This is only a test. We will go back to normal programming in a moment. This is elevator music. This is music you play when you're on hold (laughs) with somebody and they'll be right with you. This is every single one of those. So everybody, Round Ball Rock, by the way, the John Tesh song, because it's right here in my list. But yes, do yourselves a favor, kids. Listen to the musical stylings of Arch <laughs> Bacon. That's, uh... <laughs> you need to play some of this. Play this as an opener, and then people won't get the joke until they get to this part of the show. I don't Trust know about that. Else. All right, come on. All right, well, that was our look at the themes of Dusty Rhodes in Jim Crockett Promotions, which, you know, as important and as prevalent as he was in that company during that time period, that's still only scratching the surface of what Dusty did in his career. I mean, he cast a very wide shadow um, in more ways than one. Uh, And I don't know if I'll ever do a full Dusty episode again. Um, I'm sure he'll be on like a Legends grab bag here and there. But it was really nice to talk about Dusty for a little bit and some of his theme songs as well, because 
he really is one of the all-time greats, Jeff. Oh, yeah. Def- I mean, look, and his, as you like, <laughs> was it you who made the joke his DNA is all over AEW? <laughs> oh, didn't Morrow had- see a similar line to that? Well, Morrow had said that, but you said, yeah, no, it's literally on the other, <laughs> on TNT right now. No, that wasn't me. That wasn't me. Um, I-, I wish it was, because it was a great oh, line. Oh, I thought but- it was you, because you also came in with a joke as well at the same time. But yeah, I mean, look, he's all throughout NXT. He was the guy who ran, as he liked to say, his communication classes, which is all about promos. But, man, if you go through his Florida stuff, if you go through his mid-Atlantic stuff, there you just don't see anybody doing it like him anymore. That's for sure. So, um, rest in peace, Dusty Rhodes. Um, it'll be five years in June that he's been gone, which is pretty nuts, you know. Where does the time go? But, but yeah, rest in peace to one of the all-time greats. Absolutely. All right, well, that's going to do it for this episode of Music of the Mat. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, Jeff, again, thank you so much for being here. You are just a fountain of knowledge when it comes to this stuff, and you always bring the goods whenever you're on. So so thanks so much. I love doing shows with you because you will always crack me up in the most unexpected ways. Um, <laughs> if you want more, more of this arcane knowledge, you can follow me at Crap Game 13 and occasionally I'll drop it on Shake Them Ropes here on the Voices of Wrestling Network, on which Andrew does a fine, fine job. And Music of the Mat is also part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network, just like Shake Them Ropes is. You can find all the podcasts on there at VoicesOfWrestling.com. Follow the show on Twitter at Music of the Mat. Follow me on Twitter at Andrew T. Rich. Check out the VOW Discord at VoicesOfWrestling.com slash Discord. You can donate to the podcast at VoicesOfWrestling.com slash Donate and clicking the big donate button beneath the name Music of the Mat. If you do that, hey, thanks so much. You're great. And of course, rate, review, subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many other places. Jeff, thanks again, and I'll see you around. Click that link, Andrew. I just <laughs> sent it to you. It's Arch Bacon. I'll click it later. I'll click it later. I promise. So for Jeff Hawkins, I'm Andrew Rich, and I'll see you next time on Music of the Mat. Take care, guys. Well, I was thumbing from Montgomery. I had my guitar on my back. When a stranger stopped beside me in an antique Cadillac. He was dressed like 1950, half drunk and hollow-eyed. He said, it's a long walk to Nashville, would you like to ride, son? When I sat down in the front seat, he turned on the radio. And them sad old songs coming out of them speakers was solid country gold. Then I noticed the stranger was ghost white pale when he asked me for a light. And I knew there was something strange about this ride. He said, Drifter, can you make folks cry when you play and sing? Have you paid your dues? Can you moan the blues? Can you bend them guitar strings? He said, Boy, can you make folks feel what you feel inside? Cause if you're big star bound, let me warn you, it's a long haul ride. Music of the Mad is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The songs used throughout this show are property of their respective copyright holders.